You are Locked On Vols, your daily Tennessee Volunteers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Vols, your team every day. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here today as we close out the week. It has been an active one with signing day on Wednesday. Tennessee's big comeback win against Alabama in basketball on Tuesday night. The Vols have a big game coming up on Saturday against Kentucky. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to talk to Grant Ramey from Go Vols 247 about Tennessee's week and the matchup against Kentucky. Nick Richards is a really good player coming in for Kentucky. Maybe he's one of the best post players in the in the SEC. Tennessee will have to be ready. We'll talk about that game. The numbers give Tennessee a really good chance in this one on Saturday. Before that, Philip Fulmer made a very interesting comment on Wednesday night talking to the fans at the signing day celebration. We'll talk about that here in the first segment. Are the Vols back? Tennessee's AD says yes. That's coming up here in segment number one. And then in the final segment of today's show, Will Hester is the head coach at Florence High School in Alabama. He's D. Beckwith's coach. He will talk about D as a player, as an athlete, and the player that Beckwith might be compared to. Tennessee fans, I think, will like hearing this one. That's coming up right here on Locked on Vols, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You can listen anywhere you find podcasts, Apple and Google, Spotify carries Locked on Vols for you as well. If you haven't subscribed, doing that will get the show into your feed as soon as it posts. It's here five days a week. Locked on Vols. So at the signing day celebration on Wednesday, you had Tennessee's head coach, Tennessee's assistant coaches talking to fans about the class that Tennessee had just put together for 2020 with the two signees on Wednesday being Beckwith and wide receiver Malachi Weidman. Most of the work was done back in December in terms of putting the class together. And with Tennessee's 2019 season moving in a more positive direction, Tennessee finished with six straight wins. I think fans found renewed confidence in what Jeremy Pruitt is doing, where the program is headed. I think recruits obviously started to buy in a little bit more considering how the class finished. I don't think it's a top 10 class if Tennessee doesn't finish with a 7-5, and then 8-5 and record. If Tennessee finishes with a losing record, I really think we're having a different conversation. So uh, all of that has created momentum for Tennessee's football program, including heading into 2020. Remember, the ESPN Way Too Early Top 25 had Tennessee at number 25. People around the nation are starting to talk about Tennessee as at least a program to pay attention to, a team that could make a move heading into this upcoming season. It's also year three for Jeremy Pruitt, a time where at a program like Tennessee, you expect to see some positive results. Philip Fulmer definitely expects that. Listen to what Philip Fulmer said talking to Fans at the signing day celebration on Wednesday. This is courtesy Marshall Hughes of WATE, Tennessee Athletic Director Philip Fulmer. The balls are back. Yeah. And before long, we'll be taking a bite out of everybody we play. Thank you very much. Philip Fulmer, how about that? So kind of a hilarious comment there at the end, but saying the Vols are back. And then also, Tennessee's going to take a bite out of everybody's backside here soon. And he did walk it back a little bit on Thursday night at the event in Nashville. He joked that, hey, he got caught on camera and he said the Vols are on their way back. But I'll be honest, hearing that comment, hearing Philip Fulmer talk that way and get fans excited, I love it. He's saying that Tennessee's coming. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, better be ready. And he's not saying Tennessee's going to go beat those teams in 2020. But I can promise you, Philip Fulmer and Jeremy Pruitt expect to be more competitive against those teams this upcoming year. So how about the idea that Tennessee is back, that the Vols are back? Are they? 
Well, I would have to say no right now. Tennessee is not back. Tennessee won't be back until it is certainly more competitive, and I would say beating those teams. Not every time, because that's going to take a long time, I think. And, and realistically, you're in, you're out. Beating those teams every year is probably going to be too much of an ask. But Tennessee is not back to what it expects to be, meaning a legitimate championship contender, and, and at some point, a champion. Tennessee's not back until it beats those teams. And if you think about the last two years, Tennessee has not even been able to stay within 20 points against Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. That's something that has to change. What I would say is that Tennessee is back in the conversation. Tennessee is getting more attention, not as a program that should be good in the future, but that has a chance to be good this upcoming season. Remember, ESPN has Tennessee in its top 25 heading into this year. A number of publications are going to have Tennessee in the top 25. One recently had Tennessee in the top 20. Uh, was that Stuart Mandel maybe from The Athletic? Uh, the highest I've seen is, is 19. So Tennessee is in that 20 to 25 range heading into this upcoming year for a number of people. And there are others around the nation that are going to say, yeah, let's hold off on that. That was David Hell's response, at least when it came to the SEC East, uh, with a piece that he wrote for ESPN recently. And then I heard this on Paul Feinbaum's show. I brought it up on the SEC Network when I saw that they were going to talk to Blake Topmeyer from Knox News. And before Blake went on, they had a chat, the uh, producers from Paul Feinbaum's show and Paul himself. And listen to what they said right here, talking about Tennessee heading into 2020. I think Florida is is a, is what you have to think about, uh, beating Florida at home. To be the man, you got to beat the man. I'll just throw it out there. I mean, I, I need to see it from Tennessee. they got to show me before I'm going to pick them. I'm not going to pick Tennessee to win the East when they haven't come close Garantano, to winning the East. Garantano, I know everybody you know? like is going to say, you know, he got pulled a couple times, but he... What's he done? Be... What's he done? Granted, he hasn't done much, but he's the most tenured quarterback probably within That's the true. SEC right now. That quarterback's graphic was amazing, I by the way. I think, I think Trask has been around a while, too. But starts, Garantano has 25. Yeah, and what does he have to do? How many wins? So the conversation, not surprisingly, comes back to Tennessee's quarterback position, which is going to happen a lot this year. But the first thing that Paul said there, the Florida game, that's the one that you have to pay attention to. You need to try to win that game. It's going to be your first SEC game. It'll be after the Oklahoma game, which will really give us a good idea of where Tennessee is as a team. But just sticking to the SEC, the Florida game will be a big one for the Vols to really make a statement to say, yes, we are back. And there is no way to answer the question in February. Philip Former made the statement, but if, if I were to sit here and say, is Tennessee back? If I'm saying, well, no, not until you beat those teams, well, they don't have a chance. They're not going to play in March or April. They won't play until September. So it's going to take some time, and that's that's the beauty of the offseason in college football. We have so much time to talk and speculate and debate what's going to happen, and then eventually they go out there and play and answer the question. But it is true that Tennessee is back in the conversation, and it is true that Tennessee is getting some attention around the SEC and around the country. A lot of people on Wednesday said, hey, look at Tennessee, pretty good day, adding Malachi Weidman, stealing him away from Florida State, adding D. Beckwith, beating out Florida for him to go along with a class that's already pretty good. If you look at the recruiting rankings, Tennessee's in the top 10, according to both 247 Sports and Rivals. The composite has Tennessee at number 10. Uh, they've actually they had moved up in the Rivals ranking since I put together Thursday's show. Tennessee moved up to number 7 in the country, which is one spot ahead of Florida. Tennessee and Florida, very comparable in this class, both with 23 signees. Tennessee is one spot ahead of Florida, according to the Rivals ranking. The average star ranking for Florida is 3.7. Tennessee's is 3.61. So very comparable to the Gators, which have had a clear advantage on the field the last two years. In the last two seasons, so both with Dan Mullen and Jeremy Pruitt, 
Florida's beaten Tennessee by 26 points and 31 points. It has not been close when the two teams played on the field. That's why this upcoming year in September in Knoxville, when Florida comes to Neyland Stadium, that's going to be a chance for Tennessee to make a statement. And, and as I've said before, if Tennessee goes to Norman, Oklahoma and beats the Sooners or at least plays well as competitive in that game, that would be some kind of statement as well. But it's all about what happens in the SEC as well. Tennessee versus Florida is where a lot of people, Tennessee fans and media locally and around the country are going to say, all right, let's see if Tennessee's back. And either way, everyone is going to remember Philip Fulmer saying this. The balls are back. Yeah. Before long, we'll be taking a bite out of everybody we play, Zach. Thank you very much. Coming up next, Tennessee will be back at home in basketball on Saturday. Can the Vols win a fifth straight home game against John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats? I'll talk to Grant Ramey of GoVols247.com about it. Coming up next on Locked On Vols, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to welcome to the show Grant Ramey with GoVols247.com. He's covering Tennessee's basketball team every day. You can follow him on Twitter at Grant Ramey. Uh, Grant, I appreciate the time. As always, that was a very predictable comeback by Tennessee against Alabama on Tuesday night, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was. Uh, thankfully, I already had my story written, ready to go. Everything was done. Uh, I just had to sit back and enjoy it, right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, I asked sarcastically, of course, but what did you think seeing it in person? And then what can that do potentially for Tennessee? Because I, you know, the real question becomes, okay, what's next for Tennessee out of that game, right? Right. I mean, I went down there expecting virtually 0% chance Tennessee is going to find a way to win that game based on how they had played at Mississippi State, what happened against Texas A&M last week, kind of how they had trended down since uh, that game at Kansas and, and their history with that building at Coleman Coliseum in Tuscaloosa. And then I, you know, I would have lost a lot of money uh, if I was betting when they were down 15 with three minutes left in the first half. But Fulkerson does what he does and scores six points in the final, I think, 50 seconds of the first half and, and gets it within six. And uh, they just kind of kept hacking away at it. And as you're sitting there watching it, it's like, wait, Tennessee's got a chance to do this. And it gets down to within four in the opening minutes of the second half, and they just keep getting to the free throw line. They keep getting uh, whistles going their way on the road in the second half. Uh, and it does a ton for them because, you know, Alabama's not a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but they're pretty similar to Tennessee in terms of where they are in their resume and what they're trying to get done. They play two different styles of basketball, obviously, uh, under Nate Oates in his first year. But to win down there, it's huge because uh, you spin it forward to Kentucky coming to Knoxville on Saturday. Rick Barnes has won four straight against Kentucky at home, and you know that he hasn't lost to Kentucky uh, as Tennessee's head coach at home uh, You know, over his last four years. So if, if you can do something Saturday and kind of recreate the magic that they've had in the past against Kentucky uh, at home, you're kind of trending back towards – Uh, that bubble conversation all of a sudden. Yeah, and when we talked last week, Grant, we were talking about the lack of minutes for Urosh Plavsic, guys off the bench, uh, would they get more of an opportunity? And uh, Gaines plays an important role in what happened against Alabama in the comeback, and Plavsic has started twice uh, since we last talked. Part of that, Josiah Jordan-James, we'll get to that. But just what do you think about what you've seen from them in the last week, and uh, what is their role moving forward for Tennessee, not only this weekend but, but beyond that? I mean, Devontae Gaines, he's earning minutes, clearly. Uh, he probably had the biggest impact you've ever seen from a guy that didn't score a point and didn't do a ton in the box score. Uh, just kind of the mentality that he brings on the floor. He's, you know, he, he looks like he weighs 130 pounds, and he's, you know, he's six whatever, and he's got a really long wingspan. He's built. Uh, he's so rail thin, but when he gets out there, he's fearless. He doesn't care. He's going he's gonna to go after you. Even when he got, I think he had four fouls in eight minutes against Alabama, uh, and the next time he got on the floor, the next trip down defensively, 
Uh, he was swiping at a basketball and diving on the floor and trying to keep it loose. I mean, that's kind of the way he plays. He's not afraid to take a shot if it comes his way. He's not afraid to try to make a play on the defensive end. I think the Tennessee coaching staff loves that. He took a charge uh, against one of the Alabama forwards. It looked like he was giving up 100 pounds, and it looked like a, it looked like a long jumper or something uh, from where he set his feet to take the charge to where he landed. Uh, and if they could get that out of more players, I think they would love that. Uh, with Eurosh, they got to find some kind of consistency, some kind of middle ground with him. Rick Barnes said uh, before practice Thursday that he looked a little nervous or something at Alabama, and he didn't really know how to explain that. Uh, for for a guy his size, you know, Rick says over and over, if you're a forward, you got to do your work early in terms of positioning down low, getting yourself ready to get that post feed, and knowing what to do with the basketball when you get it. And I think Eurosh is. Uh, way in the early stages of that process, and it's going to take a while for him to get there. Uh, for a seven-foot, 240-pound guy with a seven-five wingspan, uh, he continually spins away from the basket for some reason instead of going up strong. So uh, there's a lot to work through there, but I think he does have the mentality where he's going out there and trying to attack. So it's something to, something to build on. Yeah, and this is a game with Nick Richards coming in for Kentucky, one of the best big men, maybe the best. He's in that conversation in the SEC, just a ton of size. I mean, that's. That's probably where the concern in the matchup starts, wouldn't you say? But what do you think there? And then just looking at the matchup between Tennessee and Kentucky and Knoxville. Yeah, that's that's definitely a concern. Uh, I mean, go back to what uh, Reggie Perry did against uh, for Mississippi State against Tennessee. That's one thing Alabama didn't really have. They want to go 100 miles an hour and score in transition and shoot a ton of threes. They don't really have a big guy that they're going to dump it into uh, and let him go to work in the post. Uh, with Nick Richards, obviously, uh, that's a completely different discussion. I think he... Uh, Kentucky played Mississippi State Tuesday night, and he kind of got the better of Reggie Perry uh, in that matchup. So that tells you what kind of uh, skill he has, what kind of talent he is, kind of the way he's playing right now. Uh, so if they can't limit him, if they can't find a way to defend the post uh, efficiently uh, without you know fouling everybody out, that's going to be a struggle. Uh, and then kind of the matchup as a whole, obviously Kentucky's always got a ton of talent on that roster. Uh, that's the way uh, John Calipari lives and dies, is, you know, the one-and-done kind of five-star elite talent uh, a guy like Ashton Hagen's obviously second year in the program he's a former five-star guy he's a really good defensive guard probably one of the best defensive guards in the league uh, how much does he pressure Santiago Viscovi and and how does Santiago handle that pressure does he get sped up does he stay in control uh, I think those are two really important matchups Nick Richards inside and uh, Ashton Hagen's outside would you say the biggest reason for optimism fans might have going into this game is just the fact that Rick Barnes with Tennessee is 4-0 and at home, and he's coached teams that were worse than this one probably his first couple of years. They didn't make the NIT, and they still got wins against Kentucky. Is that where the, the biggest level of optimism might come from? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that, that's kind of the thing that I keep circling back to, uh, your point exactly. They've had worse teams those first two years uh, that probably beat better Kentucky teams. That second year, Kentucky was... I believe 17-1 and one when they came to Thompson Bowling Arena. I think they were ranked number four uh, in the country, and they had a roster that was just a uh, a roster full of future NBA talent, De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo, uh, Malik Monk, guys like that, and Tennessee found a way to win that one almost wire to wire. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the biggest thing. But they have to be a better home team, too. They had a capacity crowd against Wisconsin. They had a big crowd against LSU. They obviously had a capacity crowd against Memphis in December, uh, and they lost all those games. So they have to, A, take advantage of the crowd, uh, and B, play a good brand of basketball. Yeah, that's true. Uh, think about the conversations we probably had about Tennessee's home court advantage, a, a winning streak that went above 30 games, and then that Memphis loss happened, and uh, the the most recent time Tennessee fans saw them at home was that Texas A&M game. So uh, it's, it's gone away all of a sudden. That's something Tennessee, I'm sure, would love to get back. And, and 
It, it's gone away. The fans have still been there, and fans, I'm sure, will be into this game against Kentucky. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think Tennessee had five or six sellouts back in October before the, the regular season even got started. So, and, and what they, they do in uh, attendance numbers is really elite. I think they're top five program nationally in attendance. But it, it, against Memphis, against Wisconsin, against LSU, those type of games, it's almost like the building was waiting for something to happen to explode. They were waiting to have a – they were looking for a reason to explode, and, the, and the, the, the team on the court just couldn't give them that opportunity. So uh, if Tennessee can get off to a fast start, if they can have some big momentum plays early in the game and really take advantage of the crowd, uh, maybe that changes things. But, yeah, the crowd will be there. It's just a matter of Tennessee – uh, taking advantage. Hey, Grant, last thing. Uh, Josiah Jordan-James, he's missed the last couple of games, appears to still be questionable. Thoughts with or without Josiah, the impact on Tennessee? Still a day-to-day thing, so I don't think anybody's really going to know until Saturday morning, maybe. I think they'll test him both Thursday and Friday and see where he goes, but he's one of their better shooters. Uh, he's one of their better ball handlers. He's one of their better rebounders, so uh, he may be, he might not be elite in any one category, but he's pretty good at a lot of different categories. He's good defensively on the perimeter, uh, so if they can get him back, if he is available, if he's 100% after having, you know, like a week and a half off, uh, that would be a pretty big boost for him, and it's another body in the rotation, if nothing else, if, if he could give them some minutes, but uh, I think it'll be wait and see all the way up until Saturday afternoon. One o'clock on CBS on Saturday. The game's at Thompson Bowling Arena. Grant Ramey will have you covered. You can read his work. Go Vols247.com is the website. Follow him on Twitter as well, at Grant Ramey. Hey, Grant, thanks for the time as always. Really appreciate it. We'll talk here again soon. All right, thanks, bud. Grant Ramey, GoVols247.com. Coming up next on Locked on Vols, you heard from D. Beckwith on Thursday's show, the athlete from Florence, Alabama, who signed with Tennessee. Next, you'll hear from his high school coach, who has a very interesting comparison for D Beckwith. You want to hear that coming up next on Locked On Vols, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I want to let you know if you're a local business owner, if you have an interest in connecting with Tennessee fans, with connecting with people locally, we can help you with advertising right here on Locked On Vols. I'll provide you a number to text as well as a website, and I'll include it in the show notes as well. All you have to do is text the word advertising to 33777. Or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. Again, that information is in the show notes, and I'll tell it to you again right here. Text ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. Another note with Tennessee's football team on the injury front before we get to D. Beckwith's high school coach. Quivaris Crouch is going to miss the spring because of shoulder surgery, and you know, this is another player, a rising sophomore, that you would love to have out there this spring. He will have a chance to start at inside linebacker for Tennessee. Uh, whether he's inside or outside, Crouch should play an important role. He should be one of Tennessee's best pass rushers. And he's still learning a lot at linebacker. And uh, He should be fine in August, and either way, he's going to play a big role. But, of course, you would rather have him out there than not. So uh, on Wednesday, we learned that Wanye Morris is not going to be out there this spring, and Jeremy Pruitt confirmed that as well. He also said Thursday that Quavaris Crouch will be out there. So that's not good news. I wouldn't call it devastating news, and we may look back and say it's not a big deal. But if Crouch does not play at as high of a level as we think that he might be able to this fall, we might look back at the spring and say, well, if he had been out there, that could have helped him. So it's, of course, of note that Crouch will not be a part of spring practice. That will give an opportunity to other guys, especially inside, like J.J. Peterson and Solon Page, because Daniel Batuli is gone. Uh, Aaron Beasley, how does he factor in? That's somebody else to pay attention to this upcoming spring. Now to uh, D. Beckwith, the athlete who signed with Tennessee on Wednesday. 
I wanted you to hear what his high school coach had to say about him. Will Hester, who has coached at Ravenwood. So he's been in the mid-state area in Tennessee. Now he's at Florence High School in Alabama. And in this conversation, we talked on uh, Wednesday after Beckwith had announced that he was signing with Tennessee. We talked about Beckwith as a player, Beckwith getting into football as basketball was his first sport. And then he decided to play football the last couple of years. And that's really paid off. And also a player who Will Hester thinks of when he sees Beckwith play. This is Will Hester talking about what stands out about Beckwith as a player and as an athlete, all that he's able to do on the football field. I mean, you know, I've been doing this 23 years, and he's probably the uh, most uh, blessed athlete that I've coached in those 23 years. And He's only been playing football for 18 months, and uh, I think that the, the sky's the limit as far as him as a football player. Once Tennessee decides how they want to utilize him and what capacity they want to use him, uh, I believe his maturation process as a football player will move forward leaps and bounds. Yeah, I know he's talked about basketball being his first love. Uh, were you a part of the process of him playing football? How'd that all come together? Yeah, uh, I just finished my second season here at Florence High. When I got here, uh, Dee was just a basketball player. Uh, it's been a lot of time in the summertime, you know, traveling around playing high-level AAU basketball. And you know, his concern was, you know, being able to work his schedule where he could do both. Uh, we made the commitment to him to, to make sure that the scheduling part wouldn't be an issue. And if he wanted to play both, uh, he'd have that opportunity. You know, obviously, having been doing this a while, uh, knew that he definitely had the size, speed, strength to be a phenomenal football player, and that was very true. Yeah, and he talked about his you know his versatility, and Tennessee's talked about kind of moving him around. But um, so with, within an offense, what can he do in terms of uh, lining up in different spots and, and all of that? Yeah, I mean, so easy comparison is obviously very similar to Jawan. You know, me having been a coach in Middle Tennessee and coaching against Jawan when, when he was a high school player, uh, very similar athletes. Uh, D probably a little more, a uh, little bigger, a little stronger physically than Jawan, but still that strong competitor that can do the, the wildcat deal or play receiver. Uh, you know, the, the easy comparison is the, a name that people see a lot today is Taysom Hill for the Saints who's played some wildcat quarterback, played some running back, played some receiver. You know, I can definitely see Tennessee utilizing him in, in a manner similar to that. Yeah, so probably pretty good timing considering Juwan's leaving for D to be a part of this class. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's kind of a uh, you're replacing a with a similar piece. Florence, Alabama high school coach Will Hester talking about D Beckwith. So the comparison there, Juwan Jennings or Taysom Hill is really good in college and has been a big part of what Sean Payton has done with the Saints offense the last couple of years. And Beckwith is a bigger guy. Uh, Jennings was listed by UT this past season at 6'3", 208. Beckwith is listed at 6'4", 215, and of course could get bigger at the next level. But interesting comparison there, and the, and the main point would be he can move around and do a number of different things on offense. And that's something that Tennessee has to be looking for within this class. Guys that can do different things. I mentioned that on Thursday's show, and I'll repeat it here. And just adding more athletes. The more athletes you have, the more versatility they have, the more options you give Jim Chaney, an offensive coordinator, whose strength, I would say, or at least one of his strengths, is figuring out the strengths of his players and then utilizing those. So uh, you have to love what you hear right there. And, of course, uh, he is the coach of D. Beckwith, but... He understands what he's saying when he makes the comparison to Juwan Jennings, and he also he has a unique perspective having coached at Ravenwood and having seen Juwan at the high school level and then seeing what he was able to do at the college level at Tennessee. So I think that has to excite you if you're a Tennessee fan hearing about what D. Beckwith might be able to do within the offense at Tennessee. And if receiver is one of the biggest questions on Tennessee's football team, I don't know if it's number one, but it's it's right up there. 
having a number of players come in in this class, it ups the chance that you'll be able to get somebody to come in and help you immediately. Because while Tennessee, I think, has confidence in Josh Palmer coming back and Ramel Keaton and adding Vilas Jones, the transfer from USC, and Brandon Johnson, I'm just doing a roll call of the roster, they still have a lot to prove. And there's a reason Tennessee went after so many wide receivers. There's a reason even after getting Jimmy Callaway, Jalen Hyatt, and Jimmy Holiday in the early signing period, Tennessee staff said, now let's go get a couple of more guys at the skill positions. That's because Tennessee staff has said, hey, we have a need. And uh, also, Josh Palmer's going to be a senior. Brandon Johnson's going to be a senior this upcoming year. Jones is coming in as a grad transfer with just one year remaining. So these guys will have to be replaced beyond 2020. So it's not just about the immediate impact. It's about trying to build an offense perhaps around Harrison Bailey, at least Harrison Bailey or Brian Maurer most likely in 2021. So perhaps they can get some immediate help in this class and then for sure build on something down the line as well. That's why you bring in a coach like T. Martin as well to help develop those wide receivers. So there's a lot going on. I think it's been a good week for Tennessee. Recruiting has gone well. Confidence and optimism and excitement seems to be growing around Tennessee's football program as well. Tennessee basketball has a big game coming up on Saturday. You know, one other thing with Tennessee versus Kentucky, Grant and I were talking about the success Tennessee has had at home against the Wildcats. While Kentucky is a better basketball team than Tennessee this year, the numbers say Tennessee has a really good shot. I, th I think Kentucky will be a slight favorite going into this game, but I, I don't think Kentucky will have a huge advantage with the point spread. ESPN's numbers actually give Tennessee about a 53% chance of winning the game, and Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com, projects Tennessee as a winner by one point. So I would still give the advantage going into Kentucky, and on a neutral court, for sure that would be the case. But at home, at Thompson Bowling Arena, even though Tennessee has not played its best basketball there recently. The Vols will have a shot. And some obvious keys, Jordan Bowden needs to hit shots. He struggled again with his shot the other night from the field. He was 0 of 6 behind the three-point line, 5 of 17 from the field. But I think he'll probably shoot better. And if he can continue to get to the basket, he'll have a chance to get to the free-throw line like he was able to do against Alabama. And also against Bama, Santiago Vescovi was 2 of 15 from the field. I have to imagine he shoots better. So it's going to take a ton from Tennessee to beat the Wildcats, but heck, we just saw on Wednesday night, Vanderbilt at home beat LSU. Vanderbilt was winless in the SEC, actually going back to two seasons ago, and LSU went into the game unbeaten in SEC play. And then Vanderbilt got its first win, handing LSU its first loss. You never know, especially this year in college basketball. So we will see what happens coming up at 1 o'clock on Saturday at Thompson Bowling Arena. And I will be back to talk about it. I'll have more Tennessee football talk, spend some more time on Tennessee's offseason, which is in full swing now, getting ready for spring practice coming up in about a month. I'll see you on Monday on Locked on Vols. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Hope everybody stays safe. Thanks so much for being here on Locked on Vols. Oh!